Yo, what's we got, Corey? What's going on? Yo. You guys both here? Yeah. Man. Now I know why all these uh, podcasts blow up. It's impossible to start one of his. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I think we're all glued in here. Perfect. So, Dan, let's go over your food order tonight. All right. I ordered from New York Pizza Pub. Starting off the week strong. So you do you ever like think of going into a week eating healthy, or do you not? You're not wired that way. You know, I always think about eating healthy. It just never really seems to happen. I, hey, <laughs> I mean, you got to eat what you got to eat, right? Yeah, it's uh it's tough. It's a tough, it's a tough game. And Corey, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I I had a pretty shitty weekend eating. It was in Arizona. Uh, What'd you eat out there? Mexican had steak and eggs, burger, chicken sandwich, all the all the good shit. But I wanted to start the week off fresh, so I just ordered from like a this restaurant called Good Health Cafe. It's just a healthy take on your savory foods. Your so I I got eggplant parm. It's just baked instead of fried whole wheat pasta. So yeah, pretty pumped. It's one of my go tos. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that definitely makes it easier to eat healthy when it's that type of food. That's great. That's a great name. Yeah, Good Health Cafe definitely uh, gets the message a point. Okay. Yeah, I went to with this place, Just Be, which is basically a healthy spot with, like, really good breakfast, lunch, and dinner spots. They have great biscuits with jam, which I okay. obviously mm-hmm. ordered, and got some egg whites, a seasonal coconut and carrot soup, which is really healthy and hearty. Biscuits and, uh, and jam. That sounds so good right now. Yeah, they're so yeah. good. Dan, you should order that. You would love this place right yeah, up your alley. Right. What'd you say it's called? Just be on Grubhub. Okay. And, you know, I usually do the double delivery, so I'm sure I'll be going to town. I'm thinking some chicken katsu from Hapa Sushi might be in store in about an hour. Yeah, Mike, I was saying they should rename the double order just to the Mike Roland. I like that. I mean, I have done that a lot where, you know, you want a specific thing from a restaurant, but it's not enough to suffice. It is a power yeah. move. Yeah. It, it, so that, it happens that's a been, lot with, uh, with Hooters Wings specifically for me. You know, Hooters Wings no longer delivers to my apartment. That's part of why I'm thinking about moving. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I went on a run there where I think I ordered there was one stretch Hooters Wings probably four times in a week. Yeah. I'm addicted to those smoked wings. They're really good. They are uh, top notch, especially when football's on. They taste even better. Yeah. Um, but, you know, yeah, the food is on the way. We'll see who gets here first. But, yeah, but, you know, we uh, decided to, for all those listeners out there, which will soon be coming in, we decided <laughs> since we've been in the food delivery game for now 14 years and the entire time we've been bootstrapped, we figured why not start talking about this on an ongoing weekly podcast. So our team got together, put our heads together, and here we are. I'm Mike, my brother Dan, and Corey, three of the team members of Lodell. And we are calling this Bootstrapped in the Trenches. And episode one is really us just giving you the story of how this all started, and, you know, taking you through the journey up until present day. So we'll get rocking back in 2005. So I went to Indiana University and 
we all grew up in New Jersey, everybody that's running this podcast that's hosting it. And all we're all big foodies. And going into Indiana University, I was a freshman in 2004. And part of my ongoing frustration leaving New Jersey, where there was really great pizza, great food options all over the place, obviously having my mom and the fridge helped a lot too. But my ongoing frustration freshman year in college was I just got sick of the dorm food and there really were not many great options. So it was the typical late night pizza and breadsticks. And, you know, you get old, it gets old after a while. And in the dorms, I happen to be friends with, which actually ends up how Corey and I got connected, but his older brother, Greg, was my first friend at Indiana University. And he happened to just get married and Corey was the best man, gave a hell of a speech. And he kind of went over this a little bit in the speech, but Greg and I, during that year, we really kind of just went to town at the dorms. We overdid it with like chicken sandwiches and we did all we can as freshmen to exploit the campus store, eating anything from ramen noodles to ice cream. You get sick of it a few weeks in and I'll never forget Corey coming to visit Greg in the dorms. You know, it was always cool. Your brothers came, Dan, you came to visit me at some point. Uh, It was always just a cool thing when kids were in high school to go visit their older brothers at college, you know, get away from the parents, have a weekend away. And Corey came and visited Greg and Greg, before Corey even arrived, he talked him up like crazy to everybody. He was telling me, this is a better version of myself. That's the first thing Greg ever said about Corey to me, which was, I, I thought was really funny. And I met Corey and I'll never forget Greg saying to us, Corey, I don't know if you remember this, but he literally was like, you guys need to work together. And yeah, you were literally 15 years old. I was a freshman in college and I don't know what, made Greg think that at the time, but he said it with such conviction. And I remember it just being planted. And he's like, I don't know why I I just know you guys need to do something big together. And Greg was, you know, one of my closest friends freshman year. What ended up happening was I was friendly with another kid that I ended up starting this site with named Pete. And long story short, we were being the foodies that we were, we were already always ordering pizza and just bullshitting in the dorms about what could we all do? Like we want, we were all hungry, literally and figuratively college freshmen needing to make money. Uh, at first we were thinking, you know what, we should try to open up a wrap and salad place because we saw all these kids ordering pizza and these girls were complaining about not having a salad option. And, you know, it was a very heavy East coast population And we knew there were a lot of these kids where we went to school at Indiana University with their parents' credit cards. And we figured, you know what? It could be really interesting opening up a wrap and salad restaurant. And I thank my dad to this day for getting me out of that mindset immediately because I'll never forget him saying when I brought up the idea that I would be stuck living in that town forever. He basically was like, Mike, you know, I get that this is exciting now, but think down the line, are you going to want to be in this town when everyone's not here anymore? And I'm really glad he shed light on that at the time, because that in itself really made me have zero interest in opening a restaurant, which in hindsight, I'm very glad I didn't, because 
I think as we can all attest to being in this industry, restaurants are very difficult to run. So what ended up happening, I got back from spring break my freshman year. I was like in a, it was weird at the time. I was already stressing out so much about my future. I was contemplating transferring. I remember just hitting on my parents being like, I, this is not, there's something off here. I wanted to be a sports announcer, but I didn't, I wanted to make money. My dad was on wall street. I just figured I need to start something. I was stressing and I got back from spring break. My buddy Pete, who was actually friends with a kid I went to high school with from the same dorm floor. That's how I got connected with Pete. My buddy, Joe Diverno, who I grew up with, who went to Indiana University, happened to live right next to him in the floor, three floors below me. So Pete and I became friendly. He hit me up. He happened to get back from spring break a day early like me. And it just so happened his family friends were in town visiting. I guess their kid was a year younger than us. They were taking him through the school, just seeing Indiana University. And for some reason, Pete invited me out to dinner with this family. And the guy, the dad of this kid was really interested in what we were into for some reason. He took an interest in what we were motivated by. I guess he was trying to show his kid what what it was like to be a freshman. And he wanted our opinion on everything. And I, I just laid it out for him what my passion was. I was thinking about opening a restaurant, but I didn't want to. And he's like, interesting you say that. My nephew just launched a menu page company in Penn State. So at the time, you know, this was early Google days that we're talking 2004, a year or two after Google launched. Google, it was not a default mechanism. This was the yellow page days where you literally had those thick yellow page books and paper menus for restaurants. So Naturally, I I was intrigued because I was like, menu pages, interesting, what is that? And he's like, why don't I connect you guys? So I think literally that that week, we Pete and I got connected with his nephew, this guy named Dave, who happened to be one of the guys that was involved in this Penn State project, which they had just started the year before as him and a few of his buddies, or I think he actually – jumped in a couple other kids started it and then he got involved but there were four of them and they basically at the time i think were exploring trying to figure out how to expand their model because it was working early on it was just a menu pages in penn state they would get people to go on there just to find restaurant phone numbers in one centralized place because in those days you had restaurant menus that were scattered everywhere so they centralized it and they, they were getting a lot of traffic to the site. So they started selling advertising to restaurants and actually accepting online orders, which at the time was a novelty situation. People were not used to the internet that much, let alone online ordering. This was before Facebook even started. Facebook started right around then. So ordering this, online was not really a thing that was well known. This was way before Uber even started. Well, this was years before Uber was even a baby or, you know, in the womb. We're talking 2004. Tony from DoorDash might have still been in middle school. Oh, definitely. (laughs) I'm sure he was. So, yeah, these guys were really ahead of their time with this. And for Pete and I, it was really intriguing because back in 2005, you know, I was broke. I had no money the startup cost to get into this was so cheap because 
when you really think about what the business was, it was going around and collecting menus and trying to figure out how to get people to the site. They, at the time, licensed out technology to us. We were college kids. So at the time, I honestly was not looking at it as a long-term thing. It was more of a, okay, this is a cool way to, you know, meet girls, earn some money, just build up an experience throughout college. So at the time, I really wasn't thinking about this as like a long-term play at all. Not at all the first year I started this. And I realized pretty quickly when we got started that this was one of those situations where it was a lifestyle. And if it was going to work and if I wanted to make any money, I had to really get engulfed in it. So that first year was a really interesting learning experience because I had, I definitely didn't put in the time that I realized I needed to. But in saying that, it was really a great learning experience for me to understand what I needed to be doing way more of. And I was really ignorant going into it. I literally thought marketing was, you know, you pass out a postcard and you get someone using your site and, you know, you have to hustle. And we, we saw that early on. And about a year in, we started seeing some results. We had friends using us. Corey's brother, Greg, ordered like every day. He was one of the first people that ever used us. That made it really easy having a base of loyal friends that helped spread the word. So we were able to really build up a nucleus of around 40 to 50 orders a day pretty quickly off of that notion where that just network took off pretty quickly. And from there, Dan, who's on this on the horn here and he'll tune in more in a bit, he was going, he, he's two years younger. So he was figuring out, he was already at this point going committed to CU Boulder. And, you know, I think he was intrigued by what was going on with the site. He definitely, my parents at the time were, wanted him to just enjoy college. And I was already in this mode of, oh, Dan needs to do this in Boulder. What a great school for this. I had already started to see what this was turning into for just an, an experience that couldn't be beat from something I never would have thought going into college. And I wanted him to be a part of that. And we went on this family vacation, I'll never forget, in 2006. In the winter, Dan was at, this was Dan's freshman year after fall, some first fall semester. So he was already in school doing his thing in the dorms. And you could tell he, w he was hungry to give this a shot. Uh, my parents were really resistant because they didn't like the idea of him focusing away from school. But I really pushed it. And Dan was all about it. And at that time, you know, this was like Dan just said, way before the Uber days. So the only actual competition in the space was this company called CampusFood.com back then, which was a national company that Grubhub ended up buying. But they all they did was listed menus and they didn't even have that much online ordering. They had a couple schools around the country that did well. But uh, Dan and I had a unique with our brands being college kids to be able to get going with that. Dan, do you want to pitch in a bit with your thoughts on the Boulder situation? Yeah. Well, I actually remember just recalling the whole situation that I got <laughs> my dumbass got waitlisted at IU. And I remember I kind of wanted to go to IU because when I went and visited you, it was so much fun and you were there and I just felt like I was going to have an easier time kind of getting established and I saw what you were doing with B-Town Menus, and then I got accepted to CU, University of Colorado, 
And that definitely like really made me want to go to CU so I could start it out there. There was no doubt like coming into college, I came in, I was like already seeking out potential business partners that were like in my dorm and stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, when we started it in Boulder, it was probably a little different than when you started it in Indiana because I was given somewhat of a playbook. I mean, that was at the point where that company was hosting conventions where before I even started, I went down for almost like a 48 hour training seminar where I was just like really excited. I was 18. I was learning how to sign up restaurants. They basically sent me back with this like manual of information and I just hit the ground running signing up restaurants, which was, I I was thinking about it earlier today, just like the early days of signing up restaurants. And it was honestly like the most gratifying feeling in the world. And I think part of it was just, you know, I I was really young at the time. And it was like the first time being involved in any sort of business where you were going and kind of like just the idea of asking for a percentage of a sale from an established business in town just seems kind of like crazy when you think about it. And then like being able to sit down with the right people and have the conversation to giving you a percentage of sales that you were going to bring them. I just remember being like such a cool feeling and that was like it would motivate me so much early on more so than because it took a while to really make any money and like the way it was structured at the beginning just never forget that trance that's the amount we signed up to get going in boulder we ordered a bunch of stadium cups and lighters i literally filled my dorm with it And then I filled up a backpack and for the next two weeks went door to door. Randomly get like a group of eight girls to open and they'd be watching a TV show and like tell you to hush and wait until a commercial came on. It's like. Site that you're super proud of. And, you know, you knew it was going to benefit them. And then you'd kind of wake up the next day and see if anybody ordered the night before. And each week it it got a little bit bigger and it got a little bit bigger. And it it was just the the early days of the site. Like today was the first time I thought about it in a while. So I knew we were going to talk about it. And the early days were just really, really cool. And that's something that I I look. Yeah, I mean, I I think the novelty of anything early on, especially when you're young. Intrigued by wanting to just hustle. Definitely. So, yeah, I mean, and then, you know, we got to the point where Boulder and Bloomington, we saw success in college. Did us the pioneers of helping with new market launches. And we were up to the task of 
something that we didn't even know at the time what we were getting ourselves into launching a city market being Denver. Uh, you know, if you guys remember when we first launched there, we didn't even have an address feature. I'll never forget going around door hanging and, you know, running events at Denver University and having to tell people where they could and couldn't order from and, on and, our site. And Mike, just so like most people who might end up listening to this one day probably don't know what an address feature is. And it's just just so people do know. It's like the thing that every app has now where you basically press a button and it locates your address and then it determines what's around you. So if you ever use Uber Eats or Lodell or DoorDash, that's literally the first thing you do when you open the app and it allows you. Yeah, and it, one of the things that one of the advantages of having competition in the space the last few years has been being able to see and gauge certain features that we wouldn't have even thought about in the days before competition, which when we launched Denver in 2010, this was right before Uber actually launched their regular model and DoorDash wasn't around yet. And we didn't have any real big competition except our own technology, ironically. Uh, We had a, a huge problem of just being set up for college sites, which were all, you know, places that had very small proximity. So we had built markets up where they didn't have to worry about setting proximities in certain areas. And when we got into Denver, we went in just thinking like a college town for a whole city. So I, I think one of the early challenges, well, for starters, was the fact that we were bootstrapped. You know, you go into a city market as a company launching a new brand. And a lot of times, you know, in the tech startup land, you're VC backed. You have a lot of funding, whether it's from, a, a, you know, family and friends on a smaller level or outside funding. There's usually a lot of resources to be able to tackle major problems. And for us, we had to make a lot of costly mistakes hands on because we had no experience and really no resources behind us to know any better. So we did a lot of things that we clearly were overwhelmed by from day one, like trying to have deliveries taking place between downtown Denver and suburbs 45 minutes away and have the same driver on call for every one of them. So there, it was definitely a very humbling experience. I think I could say personally, after seeing so much early success at a young age with the college sites to then go into a, massive project that was just on another level of what we were expecting. And it was cool. It was just a a very cool learning experience. I think we had some awesome things that we did that we look back on and, and, you know, we were luckily able to figure out a way to get bought out of Denver. But looking back, I mean, Corey, remember the dispatching with the Indian restaurant, little India during Thanksgiving. Oh my God. I just remember being home. I was like sitting in the stairs, my whole family was eating dinner and I'm just calling the restaurant, calling the customer. I mean, I don't even know who orders food on Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> it was but, crazy. Um, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure they won't be that busy. We're just like fielding calls for like six hours straight. And yeah. And this was back before we had the automatic dispatching, which is standard now. Like basically when people order food, no matter what service you order from that order is essentially automatically being sent to a driver and it's a very efficient automated process. But before that all happened, 
we literally used to take pictures of the email of the order because we would get an email sent to us and we would take a picture on our phone and text it to a driver <laughs> and then have them update us and like text us back and be like, got it on my way. And it was crazy. And I mean, luckily we. Down. We were like at this point where we were doing like two to 300 of our own deliveries a day. And it was, it was at a breaking point. Like we were about to explode with deliveries and we didn't have the software capabilities. <laughs> Live delivery in action. So we keep going here. Yeah. Sorry. I, I was going to say one of my, the, one of the best feelings is when we, we, we obviously didn't have that many drivers. And in Denver, when we first started and we weren't doing a crazy amount of volume, the best feeling is when one of our delivery providers would actually respond to my text or <laughs> respond to one of our texts. Oh, that's like, when yeah, we had a free take... night, Corey. Exactly. So me and Mike didn't have to take deliveries or Dan. And yeah, that was like the best feeling. Someone's like, yeah, I'm on this order. Like, yeah, the, the bad I, memories I always have about Denver is so we all shared a plan. Keep breaking up here. Deliveries, and we were just in this like weird part of Denver where there are always like homeless people hanging out at. <laughs> yeah, Den- between doing the deliveries, having to do door hanging and events like the amount of pancake breakfasts we ran, like we could have literally been an IHOP chef. We used to joke around about it, but legitimately I remember one event making, I think like 3000 pancakes. We were there for like three and a half, four hours, just whipping them out. So it was, it was really great. I think we were all like getting close to that breaking point when we luckily were able to get out of the market. And the timing on that was impeccable because it was right when, you know, the competition really hit on another level, which in a city market, it's just a pissing contest with how much money is bled by these large companies on trying to build market share. And what we realized, I think, through that experience was if we had the opportunity, which we luckily were able to at that juncture to go off and focus on smaller markets again, we would. And our tech provider ended up getting an exit. So we were luckily able to work out a deal where we were able to go off on our own. And we decided with all the competition in the space, as great as the local brands had been in our college towns in Bloomington and Boulder, we had to come up with one name for synergy purposes and to be able to get into new markets and build more market share because we knew Based on our Denver experience, we saw Uber, we saw DoorDash, we saw Grubhub, we saw Postmates. There was a lot of congestion that we saw before a lot of other companies because of where we were already operating. So I think it's fair to say we've been dealing with competition now in a hardcore way for probably about six years, which is pretty wild to think about. So the first over the first half of this business, there was more of a local competition feel where you were more battling against another, I I use the analogy of a ma and pa restaurant instead of a chain restaurant. That's kind of what it seemed like back then 
And now it's more of like a Domino's McDonald's competition vibe. Yeah, I remember we were specifically hitting our stride in Denver and out of nowhere, um, you know, our pretty much our only competition there was was Grubhub and a few others. But out of nowhere, Postmates came in, Bite Squad came in, Bite Squad was doing $20 off your first order for like literally, I mean, uh, for like five, six months, Postmates gave you the ability to order from any restaurant. And yeah, from that point on, that's when, you know, they obviously differentiated from us and Postmates gave you more options, something that we didn't have in our model. And yeah, I just remember that specific point. And uh, I think that's when we really hit our breaking point. We were just doing everything possible in general to survive there. We did a good job of that. We were literally losing probably about, I mean, I remember it was about $10,000 a month in that specific market. And then we were lucky enough to exit out of it. And it was like the one market we weren't profitable in because we had always been doing a really good job just figuring out, you know, the the dynamic. What happened is when we parted ways with those guys, we got an instance of our own technology and we were given we basically had to decide what markets we were going to go into. And we agreed on an amount of markets over a period of. Those markets approved. So we were going through, we were researching different markets that we thought we could make a dent in mainly markets that were similar to, you know, university of college, like Boulder, Bloomington college towns that also had, really good communities surrounding them. And it was kind of like this back and forth dance because we would randomly throw markets out that would get turned down that we knew were going to be good. And then there were ones we'd throw out that we definitely thought were going to get turned down that wouldn't. And eventually we came up with our list and, you know, the first market we launched was Flagstaff, Arizona under Lodell. And Mike, yep. I mean, you went out there. You should, you should talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, our youngest brother, Jeff, he manned up and went out and moved there for us. We figured it was fitting with uh, me and Dan each launching sites that it would be cool to give Jeff an opportunity who had been in our ecosystem for a while helping out with Denver and Boulder. And he even came out to Bloomington, if you remember, Corey, when he was still in high school to help out yep. one week when he was like 13. So Yeah, with his buddy. Yeah, so Jeff did a great job of I went out there to help him get settled in for about 12 weeks to, at the beginning of launch. And it was cool because I'll never forget the first day we got up really early and hiked up a mountain. And that was just a, a cool symbolic feeling of like doing something difficult to start off like a new journey, even though we had already been on the journey. It was a brand new a, a brand new baby in a way where it was a new brand and yeah, it was, it was really exhilarating just knowing, okay, we're building this from scratch now in a very competitive landscape era. We knew, you know, back then we still had all these competitors that exist now in the, in the big player. So it's not like we were getting into that with this mentality of no one's around. But we did have the opportunity of really having a window in Flagstaff. Back then, we still were able to be first to market in some smaller markets, one being Flagstaff. Uh a company called Tap and Go had recently closed down there right before we launched. And, you know, I think that goes to show timing. Like we saw with getting out of Denver at the right time and in that situation with being in Flagstaff launching at the correct time, timing is a big thing in business. And I think a lot of that is luck. 
There's no doubt about it. But also being able to pinpoint uh, spots and carve out niches where you can win. And Jeff did a great job in helping solidify some great relationships out there with restaurants and the community. And he lived out there, uh, I believe, for two years. And, you know, it, it got up to a, a great point. And, you know, like all the other markets, all the competition at this point, uh, we've been able to launch a few more markets, including uh, after Flagstaff, we actually all went down to Denton, Texas as a team and rented out an Airbnb. And, you know, we've always been great at the guerrilla marketing, fearless on-campus marketing, which it seems like that that era has kind of come to an end. But uh, even up until very recently, when we launched Denton, we saw immediate success with being on the ground and where our team literally all drove and flew down there together. And we spent two weeks being very hands-on in the market. And it, it just went to show that the community building still worked. And we were also back then one of the first to markets in Denton. So it made the, the climb way easier. I think we've seen now, as we've continued to build out our markets, uh, there's way more saturation. So it's tougher to get from zero to the next level quickly. But uh, on the other end of that, there's way more education. It's ironic thinking back when we first got in this space, no one really understood what online ordering is. Now you'll hear, oh, are you like an Uber? So people are already educated on the process. So it's a good and bad thing. But uh, back to the markets, we, after Denton, we decided to continue launching. You know, we had this non-compete, so we had to only be able to be in select markets until recently. But we ended up then setting up shop in Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Logan, Utah, where Dan and Jeff went down to Logan, Utah. Corey and I were in Las Cruces, New Mexico for a while. And we, we did our thing in both those markets as well, hit the ground running and got those markets off to the races pretty quickly. Uh, I, we tested out having market managers that were in charge of the markets at first, but we realized pretty quickly that our bread was buttered by doing what we did best and being hands-on. And I think uh, we're at the point now we've been able to carve out a few other hometowns recently in Colorado around Boulder. We're, we're trying to be able to win in hometowns and we're now really trying to head into a new decade with the community building front and center, trying to figure out how to really find vested people in each market that we're in and new markets we're exploring that can be actual valid community partners where they, they have a vested way of growing with us within our business. So that, that's kind of where we're at now being 2019. We're in 12 markets based in Boulder, Colorado, and it's been a crazy 14-year run. Uh, and it, it'll be interesting to see what lies ahead for us here. Yeah, exciting times. Definitely exciting times. And I mean, I think a big takeaway is that what we've seen throughout these years is people are still people. And anyone who might happen to one day listen to this who doesn't know our industry well, it's insane with the money that has been dumped into our industry, billions and billions of dollars by single companies that they've raised, that they pour into the industry, buying orders, buying customers and things like that. And Mike, I know you were just talking about Lush Cruz. And we hit the ground running 
And instead of having the hundreds of millions of dollars spend on all these crazy forms of advertising where you see it all day long, we formed deals with restaurants where we went out and passed free donuts out to that. We always compare it to the way, you know, politicians campaign. It's basically going out and meeting people. And that's kind of our whole thing. We're in the trenches and we're bootstrapped. And that's our way of competing is we're people and we can't do those types of things, but we can go and meet people and form those connections. And those people are going to want to use our services. And that's what we've seen over the years. And that's what we're always going to see. You know, people are always going to remember that interaction over a TV commercial or a regular ad. And people love donuts. People People do love love donuts. donuts. And yeah, we live in that over-cluttered society where everyone likes a break from advertising. Humans are still humans. Yep. At least for now. Yeah, so I mean, I think, look, each time we do this, I think it's going to be once a week at first. We're going to dive into like a different part of our experience in running this business and like really dive into it. And it's going to be awesome because there's been a lot of crazy, crazy stuff. And yeah, next week we'll dive in. The episode two will really be on that note, challenges that we face and what, what lies ahead as we get into a new decade in 2020. Before we end here, did, uh, did your delivery? I know Mike, your food came. Dan, did yours? Mine did not come. My food came, and I also just placed my second delivery order of the night here. I I went with the double whammy. We have some chicken katsu and vegetable gyozas on the way. The Mike Rollins. That is the Mike Rollins. Yeah. Next time I do that, I'm going to make sure someone else hears that. There we go. Yeah, that's not talked about enough, the double delivery (laughs) order. Yeah, I do it pretty frequently as well. I just think people don't talk about that. It's almost like people that are Trump supporters don't really speak up. It's the same type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Why do I feel like every time I'm speaking, I'm getting cut out? Is that actually happening? Do you guys? Yeah. What I'm randomly. Saying? It's, it's not happening random. every time. It's overall, it's been pretty solid. Dan, I think it's your phone. It's pretty frustrating because it cuts out a lot. But... I know. I think you need to get your phone checked out. I don't think that's actually from this uh, anchor thing. I'm curious, to, like. Well, yeah. On that note here, I don't want my food getting called. It's been a fun first episode, guys. Yeah, it was great. Enjoy your food. Feel about a boom baby. Listeners, have a great night and get into a food coma with us. <laughs> boom baby. Enjoy your dinners, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye.